All right. Well, good morning. Well, I'm turning my Bible. I invite you to turn in yours to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. That's where we're going to be at this morning. John chapter 14. Uh, we are continuing in our series, Captivated by Jesus. Captivated by Jesus. And, and this morning, the question that we're answering is, how does Jesus comfort the troubled? How does Jesus comfort the troubled? John chapter 14 is our text. Uh, there are, there's a lot in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, of course, is uh, 31 verses. So I'm not going to read the entire chapter to you, but I'm going to read the first seven verses just as by way of getting us into the text. And so let's go to God's word this morning. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you had have known my Father also. From now on, you will know, you will do, you, you, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this day that we're able to come and, and open your word and, and to learn from it, Lord. And today, as we do, help us, God. Help us to be captivated by Jesus. Help this message today captivate us as, as we seek to learn how we can be comforted in times of trouble. And Lord, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we often think that if we're walking with, if we were walking with Jesus like the disciples were, you know, if we, if we were back in the day with Jesus, if we were one of the 12, then, then we would have done things differently. You see, they sinned, they acted in disbelief, they, they were troubled, they were afraid. And, and we think if we were there, if we were walking alongside Jesus, none of those things would have happened. We, we would not have done any of those things. But, but before we run there, before we think ourselves better than the disciples, I mean, consider all of the things that Jesus ha has told his disciples up to this point. Jesus had said that he was going away. That he would die, that one of the twelve was a traitor, that Peter would disown him three times, that Satan was at work against all of them, that all of the disciples would fall away. And the cumulative weight of, of all of these revelations must have greatly depressed them. They must have been completely bewildered and discouraged at this moment in Jesus' ministry, at this moment in Jesus walking with them. Now, I don't know about you. But if I'm honest with myself and, and, and I was walking with Jesus and he told me all of these things and this is exactly how everything was going to be going to play it out, I'd probably be troubled in spirit as well, just like the disciples are. I'd probably be depressed. I'd probably be fearful too. You see, physically walking with Jesus or not, the disciples are human just like we are human. And the fact of the matter is that as humans, we are plagued by a sinful nature, which, which makes it difficult for us to trust in and, and to believe in God. And not only that, but, but we live in a sinful world. One that is constantly pressing in on us. One where we, where we, where we are attacked or we know difficulty lies ahead. It's hard 
when those things are happening for us not to be fearful, for us not to be troubled, even though we know that, that we shouldn't be. Take the coronavirus, for instance. I mean, this is an unprecedented virus that we are facing, in the, at least for our time, right? I mean, it acts differently in, in, in different people. You know, some people get it and they're asymptomatic and, and they don't, nothing even happens to them. They don't feel bad at all. And then those people go places and they meet with people and, and then they spread the virus. And then some of those people, they, they might get the virus and, and it might affect them in the same way. They might be asymptomatic or, or they might have some mild symptoms or, or maybe it affects them in a way that, that really debilitates them and they end up in the hospital on a ventilator. Some of those people recover. Some of those people die. And as a result, the world has, has literally shut down. And we don't know if or, or when this virus is going to end or, or what's going to happen, what's that's going to look like in the future. We do know that Jesus can do something about it, but, but he is not here like he was with the disciples. I mean, he's, he's not going to call people out of the grave like he did with Lazarus. He's not going to walk into a hospital room and, and heal someone who is on a ventilator. Jesus is not physically here, here with us like he was with the disciples. And that's not to say that, that Jesus has not healed people who have gotten sick from this virus. Certainly, I believe that Jesus has healed people who have gotten sick from this virus. Certainly, I believe miracles have happened as people have been healed who have gotten sick from this virus, but not in the same way that when Jesus walked with the disciples. We also know that Jesus can and will finally set everything right, but, but Jesus has yet to return. And even as Christians seek to, to minister through this crisis, to self-sacrificially give of themselves, to put themselves in harm's way, they are attacked, they are maligned, they are even cast out of different locations. they got a Samaritan's purse in mind. They were forced out of New York City even while they were seeking to minister to those there in that city. And if we're honest about the situation that we are facing. We, we, we are really no different than the disciples. We are troubled by all of the things that are happening all around us, just like the disciples were troubled by all of the things that were happening around them. That means that we need to hear Jesus's words of comfort, just like the disciples needed to hear Jesus's words of comfort. And how does Jesus comfort the troubled? Well, let me just say, first off, Jesus doesn't comfort the troubled by using the world's tactics. You know, the app store on my iPhone is, is a place that I visit often. You know, I like to go there to, to see the new apps that, that are out to see if there's something that might help me, you know, work better or live better or whatever it might be as well as I got to update my apps from, from time to time. And so I go to the app store often. And most of the time when I go to the app store, I'm greeted by some sort of meditation type app. You know, case in point, the day when I was writing this, this sermon, I had that thought. And so I picked up my iPhone and I clicked on the app store. And guess what? The first app that I saw, what is, it, was a, it was a coloring app. Coloring app meant to calm me. The ad slogan was this, color your way calm. Now that same day, I just scrolled down the page just a little bit and, and I came across the app of the day. And, and yes, you guessed it. It was a meditation app, an app aptly named Calm. Now these apps and the meditation they lead you through, it's meant to, to take your mind off of the world around you, to give you a break from reality, to calm your emotions through relaxation. And, and I'm not saying that that, that, that that doesn't work. I'm not saying that that is necessarily bad that we need to take our mind off of things or that we need to go and get a good workout so that we're not thinking about the troubles of the world and things like that. 
But while these apps might, might help us momentarily, they don't provide true comfort that transcends time and space, comfort that is eternal, comfort that is true, that provides true everlasting hope. These apps cannot provide you those things. In order for that to be the case, we, we need something more. We need the comfort that Jesus provides. And so we have to ask again, how does Jesus comfort the troubled? Well, in today's text, we see that Jesus comforts the troubled in several different ways. First, Jesus comforts the troubled by pointing us to our heavenly home. Beginning in verse one, Jesus says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Now, now Jesus knows everything he has told the disciples is, is bound to have an effect on them at this point. He knows that it's most likely gonna trouble them to cause them some sort of emotional and physical distress. And he tells them, he commands them, let not your hearts be troubled. Now, how? How are they to accomplish that? How are we to accomplish that? How are they to keep themselves from being troubled? How are we to keep ourselves from being troubled? Well, in the second half of the verse, he tells them to believe in God and believe also in me. In other words, we are to trust God. We are to trust Jesus. We are to trust that he will do what he says that he will do. And what does he say he will do? Well, he tells us that while he is going away, it is to our advantage that he is going away. And it's to our advantage that he is going away because he is going to prepare a place for us. And what does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus is going to prepare a place for us? Now, now, some have interpreted this to mean that Jesus is in heaven building each of us our own mansion, a mansion that we will inhabit one day when we die. And so if you, want your, if you want your own mansion for all of eternity, come to Jesus, believe in Jesus. But is that true? Is Jesus, you know, in heaven right now, tiredly laboring away to build us our own mansion so that we can enjoy the rich life for all of eternity? Well, I believe there's a better interpretation to that passage. Jesus is not telling us that he's going away to, to build us our own mansion. Instead, he is telling us that each of us will have a place in his kingdom. If we are his, we will not be left out. We won't be like that new kid in high school who, who shows up to a new school after he's been at another one for, for, a, for a while. He had his group, he had his friends. Maybe he was one of the most popular kids in school, but, but his family has moved and now he finds himself in a new city go into a new school and he walks into the lunchroom that first day and he looks out over a sea of people and he wonders, is there a place for me here? Or maybe, or maybe, or worse in a sense, we aren't gonna be like those who show up to the big football game, you know, the, the championship game and you just think, you know, I know it's a championship game. I, I haven't bought my tickets online. And I didn't even check to see if there were tickets available, but, but we're gonna go anyways. And so you pack up the car, you get all your buddies in there and you say, we're going to the big game. You go to the big game, you go to the ticket booth and you find out they're all sold out. There's not a place for you in the stadium. That will not happen to those who are Christ's. All those who believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, all those who follow him have a place in his kingdom because Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And how does Jesus do that? 
How does Jesus go and prepare a place for us? Well, he prepares a place for us through his sacrificial death on the cross. That means that that our place in Jesus's eternal kingdom is bought by his blood. And then it is secured because he continually advocates for those who are his. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. Jesus sits there as our great high priest. He's continually advocating on our behalf. And Jesus doesn't have to to leave us to to build our own individual mansions in the sky. No, no, Jesus, he leaves so that then at one point, at some point in the future, he may draw us back into his kingdom where he has made sure that we have a place so that we might live in unity with one another for all of eternity. And Jesus says, look, if that wasn't the truth, If I wasn't going to build a place for you, if I wasn't going to come back for you one day, if that wasn't the truth, I would have told you that that wasn't the truth. But I'm here telling you right now that that is the truth, that I have, that I am going to go and I have gone now to prepare a place for you so that you might have a place in my eternal kingdom. But Jesus doesn't just prepare a place for us. Jesus returns so that he might draw us into that kingdom. Verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. You see, Jesus not only buys our place in the kingdom through his blood, Jesus not only secures it through his advocacy, but he will also return to bring us into that place. He will come again just as he promised in John 6, 39. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Those whom the Father has given the Son will find themselves in the eternal kingdom with Jesus one day. He has gone to prepare a place for us and he will come back for his church. Jesus is going to personally come back to make sure that that happens. And that should provide us with comfort. We should be comforted knowing that we have a place in Jesus's eternal kingdom because Jesus has personally made sure of it. And he will personally make sure we get to that place one day because Jesus is coming for us. And so if we are troubled in spirit, we should think about, we should remind ourselves, we should meditate on the truths of God's word. We should meditate on Jesus's promise to us. Meditate on your future inheritance that awaits you. Don't open up a a meditation app on your phone. Instead, meditate on God's word. Meditate on the truths that are in here. Uh, Meditate on your future inheritance, a future inheritance that is perfect, where there is no sin, there is no sickness, there is no disease, there is no persecution, there is no virus, there is no death at all. A perfect future kingdom awaits those who are Christ's. Maybe you hear that and you wonder, well, well, how can I be a part of that kingdom? That, that sounds amazing. I want to be a part of a kingdom like that. How can I be a part of that kingdom? How can I make sure that Jesus is coming back for me? If you're wondering that, you're not alone. You see, in verse 4, Jesus assures the disciples that they, that they know the place that he is going and they're going to be able to come there one day. And then, then Thomas reveals that he doesn't know. In verse 5, he says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And look how Jesus responds in verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So how do we get to the future kingdom? Well, we get to the future kingdom through Jesus. Jesus says, look, I'm the only way. He is the way because he is the truth. He is the word made flesh. 
And he is the life. He's the resurrection and the life. Only through Jesus can we make it into the eternal kingdom. And that is because Jesus' blood is required for our entrance. Jesus had to die the death that we deserve so that he might satisfy God's wrath on our behalf so that we might have a reconciled relationship with the Father. If that doesn't take place, then, then we don't have a place in the eternal kingdom. We can't gain entrance into the eternal kingdom. And so we can't go over Jesus. We can't go around Jesus. We can't go underneath Jesus, right? We've got to go right through Jesus. Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He is the one who provides us entrance into this kingdom. And he must be the one who provides us entrance. Because as Paul tells us in Romans 3.10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. You see, Jesus did not just come to show us the way as if to be an example and, and to lead and to guide us to, hey, go that way and, and you'll get there, right? So that we might go and blaze our own path and blaze our own trail. No, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the only way. If you want a relationship with the Father, if you want a place in the kingdom, you must come through Jesus. And yes, that is narrow. Yes, that is exclusive, but that is the truth. Jesus has come not only to tell us the truth, but he has come to provide us a way through his own death for us. And so, yes, it is exclusive, but it is also loving. You see, Jesus gives himself so that we might experience eternal life, so that we might have a place in his kingdom. And that should comfort us. So I have to ask, does that, does that comfort you today? Do you believe this about Jesus this morning? Have you repented of your sins? Have you turned to Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Are you following Jesus right now? Do you believe that he is the only way? Do, 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 have you forsaken your own works as a means to get you to heaven to say, you know what, I can't do it on my own. It is only Jesus and Jesus alone. It is through his sacrificial death on the cross. That is the only way. Do you believe that? Do you believe that this morning? Do you have a place in the eternal kingdom? Now say you do believe that Jesus is the only way. How can you be sure that you are on the way? How can you be sure that, that Jesus will return for you one day? You see, we, we, we believe, yes, but then there's also ways for us to be assured. And so how can you be assured. Well, in verse 15, Jesus says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then if you skip down to verse 21, he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So these verses, you know, they tell us that Jesus comforts the trouble by telling them that those who love him and obey his commands will have a place in his kingdom. In other words, we can be sure that Jesus will return for us if we love him and we obey him. Now, we've got to be careful here. Jesus is not returning for us because we obey him. That would be a works-based salvation. No, we obey Jesus out of a changed heart. We obey Jesus because our heart has literally been changed. It, 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 is, it is changed from those who, who want absolutely nothing to do with Jesus at all and his commandments to somebody who desires to please God and can please God because their heart has been changed. 
And when we see that change take place, and when we see that change take place in our life, then we can be assured that Jesus is coming back for us. See, we obey out of our belief. We obey out of the faith that we have in Jesus. Not the other way around. We don't don't get to heaven because of our obedience. But those who have been changed by Jesus obey, and they can be assured that they have a place in heaven because of that. John says it this way in his first epistle. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You see, if you say that you abide in Jesus, if you say that you believe in Jesus and you do not obey Jesus, what does the text tell us? The text tells us that we are a liar and the truth is not in us. We obey out of a belief in and love for God. And those who are His, all of those who are His, do that. If we just say that we believe so that we can get some sort of fire insurance and we don't obey, then the text says we are a liar. And that means that we need to check ourselves. We need to examine ourselves. And we need to see, do we truly believe in Jesus? Because belief is not just intellectual assent. Belief brings actual life change. And so are you following Jesus today? If you are following Jesus today and you follow him tomorrow and the next day and the next day, then you can be assured that you have a place in Jesus's kingdom. We can be assured that he will return for us. And not only should Jesus's promise in our love for and obedience to Jesus' command provide us comfort. But we see, thirdly, that Jesus comforts us. Jesus comforts the troubled through answered prayer. Jesus comforts the troubled through answered prayer. Starting in verse 12, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And so Jesus tells us those who believe in him, he's going to answer their prayers. And he says, listen, you're going to do greater works than I. And how is that? I mean, how can anyone do greater works than Jesus? I mean, if you think about it, the the works that that we do are not greater in the sense that they are more spectacular. I mean, there could be nothing more spectacular than, than calling a dead man out of a grave and he literally rises back from the dead and walks out of that grave or turning water into wine or or healing a lame man or a blind man or casting demons out of someone nothing could be more spectacular than than the miracles that Jesus has performed nor is it that we just do more than Jesus I mean certainly the church is able to do more works than Jesus I mean Jesus was just one man who was limited by time and space he had a a three-year ministry And so if that's not the case, then what does it mean that we do greater works than Jesus? Well, I believe the key is in the last part of that verse. He tells us there, the end of verse 12, 
you will do greater works than me because I am going to the Father. The way Jesus gets to the Father is through his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. And it is through his cross work that he institutes the new covenant. And because of Jesus' work, because of the new covenant, we can experience a restored relationship with God. We can experience a changed heart. We are guaranteed eternal life. Other than others can experience salvation as well. And this is the key to these greater works. The works that we do as new covenant people have greater power. They have greater clarity. They point to what we was only promised during Jesus's ministry. A restored relationship with the Father and eternal life in a perfect kingdom. You see, through us, those things are pointed to. Those things, people can actually experience those things. As God uses us today as his instruments to preach the gospel to people, to preach God's word to people. People's lives are changed. People's hearts are changed. These are things that were only pointed to and promised during Jesus's ministry. These are things that Jesus won for us through his life, death, and resurrection. And these are things that we are to go into the world and proclaim and to bring about as God works through us as his instruments. And in that way, we do greater works than he. Because we are bringing about the kingdom into this world through the preached word, through the word spoken, through the word read, through conversations that we have with people. As the spirit drives that into people's hearts, people are changed. And so, how does this take place? How is it possible that we can do these works? And we have already said we can do these works through speaking to people, preaching the word. But Jesus tells us, he says, we are able to accomplish these works through prayer. Again, Jesus says in verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, now we need to address a misinterpretation of the text here. Some folks use this phrase in Jesus' name as if it is some sort of incantation or, or some sort of magic formula that, that, that if we just use that phrase in Jesus' name, Jesus has to, Jesus must, Jesus is required to give us whatever it is that we just asked for. That is, that is simply not true. Just because you say in Jesus' name doesn't mean that now Jesus' hand is forced and he just has to give it to you. Jesus is not a genie in a bottle that we just rub it the right way or we say a certain thing the right way that all of a sudden now, now Jesus is answering our prayer when, when if we wouldn't have said that, then he wouldn't have answered our prayer. To ask in someone's name means that you're asking based on who they are and what they have done. That tells us that when we ask Jesus for anything, we must ask Jesus in accordance with his character and accordance with his will. If we ask Jesus to do something that is outside of his character, that is something that is outside of his will, we should not expect that Jesus will honor that. We should not expect that Jesus will answer that, even if we say in Jesus' name 50 times. We also see here that, that Jesus answers our prayer in order to glorify the Father. And so Jesus is not going to answer our prayer if it is not in accord with his character, if it's not in accord with his will, and if it is not something that glorifies him or glorifies the Father. You can say Jesus' name all you want, but if that criteria is not met, your prayer will not be answered. But as we pray in Jesus' name, as we pray in accordance with his character, his will, and to the glory of God, 
And people are healed. People are released from addiction. People experience salvation among a number of many different things in in which Jesus may answer our prayer for. We should be comforted in times of trouble. We should be comforted because we know that our God hears our prayers and we know that our God is actively working in this world because he answers our prayers. He answers that which we pray for at that moment or at some point in the future but we can tie it back to the prayer that we have prayed to him in his name, his character, will, and to the glory of God. And we see that coming about. And so we should be comforted knowing that we have a God who hears us, knowing that we have a God who says that he will do what he will do. And one of the things Jesus says that he will do is he will answer our prayer and that he will come back for us one day. He will set up his perfect future kingdom where we live for all of eternity. And answered prayer should assure us that we have a place in that kingdom. Answered prayer should provide us with comfort. Lastly, Jesus comforts the troubled by sending the Spirit to be our helper. Jesus comforts the troubled by sending the Spirit to be our helper. Starting in verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. See, Jesus is going to send his Spirit, his helper, to those who are his. He he doesn't send his Spirit, his helper, to the world. He sends his Spirit, his helper, to his disciples, to those who are his. And then in verse 26, Jesus says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, listen what he will do. He will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. Those who love Jesus, those who follow Jesus, receive the Spirit. The Spirit comes to to help us. He comes to strengthen, encourage, and teach us. One of the works of the Spirit, the work that we see here is that he brings to remembrance what Jesus teaches. And through the work of the Spirit, we not only remember what Jesus teaches us, but we are able to understand what Jesus is teaching as well. We are able to understand the meaning behind Jesus' teaching. And it is the Spirit, not us, because we're, we're super intellectual or anything like that. It is the Spirit who, who, who rots that in us, who, who allows us to understand Jesus' teaching and to understand the meaning behind that, and, and then uh, allows us to apply that to our lives. When we see that taking place, then we should be comforted. We should be comforted because we know that the Spirit is at work in us. And we know that we are part of Jesus' children. We know that we are His disciples because we have something that those who are not His disciples don't have. We have the Spirit. And so we should know that that we have a place in Jesus' eternal kingdom. We should know that he will come back for us. And that should comfort us no matter what it is that we are facing in this world. In all of these ways, Jesus seeks to comfort us. 
And we need that comfort because we live in a sinful world, a world that presses in on us each and every single day. But we aren't going to find that comfort in the world. Instead, we must find that comfort in Jesus. And we're only going to find that comfort in Jesus as if we're following him. We're only going to find that comfort in Jesus if we are captivated by him. If we are drawn to him as the only savior of this world. Only then are we going to find comfort in Jesus. And so church, rest in Jesus. Trust in Jesus today. Know that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the great comforter. He has prepared a place for you through his blood. He secures that place right now through his advocacy. And he will return for you one day to bring you to that place. You will have a place in his future kingdom. And so let not your hearts be troubled. And if your hearts are troubled today, turn to the way. Repent of your sins. Believe in Jesus. Follow him and no one else. You can have a place in his kingdom today if you would believe in him, if you would repent of your sins and repent of your unbelief and begin to follow Jesus. You can experience comfort today. You can have a place in the kingdom today. So let not your hearts be troubled. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for everything that you do for us. We thank you for your word and, and how you seek to comfort us through it, God. And Lord, we ask that you would comfort us today. <clears throat> many of us are troubled in, in spirit for many different reasons. But God, help us to look to your word today. Help us to look to the truths in, in this message today so that we might find comfort, so that we might find joy, so that we might find hope. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.